And how often, how easy is it to celebrate way too early in life? I think I'm heading somewhere. I've got this. I spiked the ball. Like, how many of us do that? Like, I came to know Christ. I came to church. And then I'm done. Like, this is great. And then life hits you. Something happens and you forgot. No, no, no. Like, I'm running through the tape. Like, I got to finish. I can't just start strong. I've got to finish strong as well. And if you don't realize that and have a goal that you're heading towards, then a lot of times you're going to spike the ball too early. You're going to celebrate too early. And, and that leads us straight into what we call in our church the four E's. This is kind of our strategy as a church. We have our mission and we have our strategy of how we go about making disciples and what it means to be a disciple. And uh, two weeks ago, we started, uh, gave a message on engage. I encourage you to get that message. I don't always promote myself, but I think specifically you should listen to this message. It's the gospel message. What do we engage the culture with? Just being nice people or a whole new way of life? and a whole new way that God approaches us, and a whole new story to our life. That's what the gospel presents to us. That's what Jesus came to do. And so we engage with this message that is the most profound, amazing message and story on earth. And it's the good news of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? We engage with that story we talked about last week. My wife did an amazing job establishing foundations. Many of you started working on your backyard, got plants, uh, started doing all that kind of stuff, which is hilarious and awesome. Uh, and my wife was out there this last week too, because she was so embarrassed showing some of the plants that, that we have that have been neglected, but establishing foundations. What kind of foundations? Biblical foundations. What does scripture say about who you are and getting that baseline foundations. But if you just stop there, nobody looks at a foundation and goes, oh, that's amazing. The goal is to build something and not just to stop and celebrate a good foundation. We got to build upon that. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is this word equipping believers to minister. Let's go straight into scripture. We're going to read through several verses in Ephesians chapter four. If you have your Bible, turn it on, light it up, open it, uh, or check out the screen behind me. Ephesians 4, Verse one, check this out. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's go to verse 11. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask that you illuminate your word to our heart, God. Father, open our heart and allow your word to come in like seed, to change us, to change our posture, our actions, our behavior, our thinking, our identity, Father. Open our eyes to all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Paul starts this whole letter. He's in prison, writing to the church in Ephesus. Some people believe the prison he was in was maybe in the sewer system and underground about a foot deep in poop. And and this is where he's writing letters letters like, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. How are you doing, right? He's like, this is not the best, but God is doing something in me beyond my circumstances. And he's in the middle of this. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, here's where he starts. He says, I therefore, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I've been captivated by him and literally a prisoner, but also been captivated ultimately by Jesus. And here's what he says. I urge you, like, please, 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 walk in the manner of the calling to which you have been called. He starts this whole thing by saying, you've been given a calling, you've been giving a way, you've been giving an engagement tool, the seed of the gospel of Christ and what God has done for you that you've received. Now walk according to that way. Don't walk away from it. Don't walk in some other manner, but actually use what God has given you as a new person and walk according to that manner. He starts by saying, you have a new identity now. Your old ways, who you were, is not the same person because of what Christ has done when you've received him. Now walk in that manner. Like he's saying, but before you, you have this great goal and I've got this thing before you. Don't spike the ball now. Don't celebrate too early. Walk according to that thing because God has something for you. And he starts to lay out what that looks like. I love the vision he gives us. In fact, he he starts this whole letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, And all of us should have some type of identity like that. Like I can say, Chris, a pastor, you should say your name and then the gifting or the call because that is now your new identity, what God has called you to be and what God has called you to do in Christ Jesus. Someone in relational context with God, moving forward and being equipped to be able to do all that God's called you to do. And he starts with this grand vision, this calling that you begin. Let's walk this way. I I read a story this week about a girl... um, who a few years ago was working for an organization called Teach for America. If you're not familiar with this organization, they actually go into low-income areas. She was actually in the Atlanta area. Her name's Crystal Jones, if you haven't heard of her. But her story is really fascinating. She, she joined Teach for America, and they go into low-income areas, and they try to help educate students in elementary schools and, and that haven't had the opportunities that other people have had and other students have had. And a lot of them are, don't have a, a reading levels very high. They barely even know their ABCs, and she started right away going to the school, helping teach, and she's overwhelmed because she notices, man, this is a really bad situation. 
that a lot of these kids don't, don't have any formal education and they don't even have a kindergarten at this particular school. So first grade was the first time. She's starting with these first graders. Let me read you a little bit about her story. Crystal Jones was a primary school teacher working with Teach for America, an organization designed to help low-income area students achieve educational success. As she began in teaching first graders in a school in Atlanta that did not have a kindergarten, she soon noticed how behind the kids were in reading and writing, especially many not even knowing their ABCs at all. She also noticed during recess how much her first graders admired and looked up to the older kids in the school, and this led her to think of an ambitious approach to teaching. If you've ever been around small kids, they, they love hanging out with the older kids. Like, I, I love my, my kids. I always, as the dad, like, you're the superhero when they're first young, and then as they start to get a little bit older, they start wanting relationships, peer relationships, right? And you shouldn't be a parent. You should be a parent. There's a difference. And so they need peers. That's a word for some of you parents. Uh, so the, they need uh, peers and they look up to, especially the ones older, that I want to be like that person, I want to be like that person. And as much as I want them to know, what about dad, right? They wanted to look up to somebody else. And she noticed this, like there was some intrigue, even with the third graders especially. So let's continue. It says, upon taking command of her class of first graders, she set them a target. By the end of the year, she said, you are going to be third graders, she duly informed her students that they were no ordinary pupils, but scholars. She actually would go around and say, from now on, I want you to introduce yourself as scholar and then your first name. So scholar Chris. And she taught them what that meant. Not only that, she also encouraged them to use that title when talking to each other. When someone happened to visit the class and asked why the pupils addressed each other in this way, the whole class responded in chorus that a scholar is someone who lives to learn and who is good at it. So clearly such a title was appropriate for them. The scholars were encouraged to share with their family what they had learned at school. When spring came, tests showed that the class had reached the level required for second grade. So Jones threw a graduation party from that point on, the students were to think of themselves as second graders, not just first graders. I'm going to be a third grader, but now I'm a second grader. And the kids enjoyed immensely referring to themselves as such for the rest of the year, as I'm sure you would know. By June, Jones had reached her objective. In terms of scholastic achievement, 90% of her class were at third grade level or higher. What an amazing story. And what's the, what's the moral of the story? She didn't just set basic goals. I want you guys to be able to read. I want you guys to be able to write. I want you guys to be able to know this specific thing. She went in and said, this is who you are. She went for the identity of the kids. Said, I want, see what you're looking for, that's who you are. Not just what you do. We're not just looking at the things that you do. Because if we look at do now, it's overwhelming. And you're looking at yourself and you're going, there's no way. But these little kids responded so much to someone calling out who you are, your very identity, and changing it, that it then changed their behaviors. Now, as long as we just try to work on our behaviors, it's not enough. And we'll just be depressed and frustrated. Some of us will do really, really good because I can change my behavior and I can do all these things or you have a certain gift, proclivity to be able to do that. But the key, and this is even the message of Christ, he comes in and says, this isn't who you are anymore. 
I'm calling you higher. I'm calling you out. This is who you are. This is where I'm taking you. And I love this story because I believe this is the same thing Paul is doing. Walk in the manner of your calling. Once you've been engaged and you're established, now I want to be equipped. I'm going to go forward because I have this goal and this target that I'm going after to follow Christ and to be like him. That's the goal. Not him conforming to me, but me conforming to him. In fact, in the book of Romans chapter 12, Paul is also preaching to the Romans in a letter, and, and he just got done laying in 11 chapters like a foundation of the mercy of God and how amazing God is and what he has done. And he lays this long foundation, and then he says, therefore, now in view of the mercies of God, look at the, the way he's engaged you in view of that. He says, now, offer your body as living sacrifices by changing the way you think. In view of what God has done, now change who you are. Change what you think because Jesus did not come to make you a nice person. He came to make you a new person. Big difference. Not just to be nice people, but new people. Let's look at Ephesians 4.11 because this is where we're going to get this word equip and where this comes from. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Here's how, why. Why do we have these leadership in the church? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Such a long sentence. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's what he says. He says, God gives gifts to the church and their job is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church where, where I thought like the pastor and the evangelist, like we would bring, if we needed to bring someone to the Lord or they, you know, help, help them engage with God, I would take them to an evangelist, right? And so like, let the evangelist do it. And if I need a pastor, I'd take them to the pastor because the pastor's job is to do the work of the ministry. And that is so far removed from scripture. The job of the leaders is to equip the saints. Say, I'm a saint. That's what scripture calls you. Now, many of you might have grown up in the Catholic church or know like you have to, in order to get to sainthood, like you have to do miracles, you have to do all these specific things to be a saint. And yet Paul constantly refers to the church as saints, not commoners, not just, not sinners, but the saints, because he calls out, this is who you are. If what Jesus did is enough, he's already paved the way for you to be a saint. Now walk in that manner. That changes the way you act and think. If this is who I am, I better walk according to that. I better act like that. I better step into that. But it takes, as he says, going from infancy to maturity. Now, I know something because I have kids. I know something about infancy and two, two right here. They always get picked on. Sorry, you're bad. Um, as little kids, like Thank God they learned how to sleep. My first son, um, Addison, slept really good. He still sleeps really. Are you asleep? No, you're awake right now. And so uh, I'll make you stand in the corner. Yeah, that's how we work. No, just kidding. Uh, he's like, whoa. <laughs> he slept really good. Come cadence, she's sleeping like 
Six months it took her to learn how to sleep through the night. So we're just zombies. Come Jackson, our third kid, who's seven right now, one full year, not sleeping. Now, if that continued, I would not be alive today. Thank God they got out of the infancy stage. Because the thing I know about infants is they are selfish human beings. <laughs> Poop, pee, change me. Like it's all about them constantly. And that's okay for a season. That's what we sign up for, right, Natalie? That's what we, it's so pretty, it's so cute, and the, the, here's the poop, and it's all good until it actually starts to smell, which happens a few months later with solid food. What I know is that they're very selfish human beings. They suck up your time. They suck up your money. They suck up your energy. They suck up everything. All the parents in here are going, yeah. And all the, all the married couples are like, yeah, I knew we weren't going to do this yet, right? <laughs> And it's cute and it's good and it's fine because that's my job and my role is to take care of them. But oh, the glorious day when they learn how to start grabbing a Cheerio and not stuffing it up their nose like my son did when he was a kid and get it stuck, but eating themselves because now, oh my gosh, I could sit down and I can eat. This is amazing. Like, I don't have to feed you, and then I'm starving, and I'm eating half your food because you won't eat it. And then now I'm eating my food that's cold. Like, oh, how glorious, because you moved from some level of infancy into some level of maturity. And beyond, how horrible is it to imagine having an 18, 20-year-old that is still living in his mother's basement, and she's changing his diaper because he never learned how to use the bathroom. And she's still feeding him and spoon feeding him with delayed adolescence. And maybe not physically that's happening, but definitely mentally, emotionally, it's still happening in our culture because we haven't moved to, from infancy ultimately to maturity. And there's steps along the way. And this is what equipping is supposed to do. This is what Paul is ultimately saying we need to go to, start walking in this manner. Don't be infants any longer just drinking milk. Let's grow out of that stage. Let me give you three ways that I believe you need to be equipped to do. And they're going to rhyme for you, so it's super easy to remember. I want you to know, grow, and show. First of all, number one, when we talk about equipping, I want you to be equipped with knowledge. Like you need to know what it is that you're called to. You need to know so well this new identity in who Christ is and what he has done for you that goes way beyond just simply coming to the altar or saying a prayer and saying, okay, good, I'm going to heaven, now I'm done. Because Jesus did so much more for you than just give you a get out of hell free card. He's trying to create in you a new person, a new way to think, a new way to act, a new kingdom to enter into. And it, changes, it, it, it forces us to die to ourself and our kingdom and our way and the things that I thought so that I can rise into what he has for me. In fact, the great reformer Martin Luther would say it this way. He says, here I must take the counsel of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, I must hearken to the gospel, which teaches, teacheth me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law. The gospel is not telling you what you ought to do. It's telling you what is done. But what Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hath done for me, 
To wit, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel willeth me to receive this and to believe it. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is therefore that we should know this article well, I love this, teach it unto others and beat it into their heads continually. In other words, here's what he's saying. You don't start with the gospel and move on. It continues to be something you feed on every day. You need to think about what Christ has done for you. And the more you do it, actually, it's not like the honeymoon phase. Ah, It's actually the more you do it, the greater it is. The greater your love grows. Let me give you an illustration of how this works. There's a story of two women. One, one woman, she started a company. She had a good product. She started moving inventory. Things were going really well. But then she hit, a, hit a, a, a fork in the road and just started losing money hand over fist, not doing well. Her friend came in and said, let me look at the books. She came in, she looked at the books and she realized, you know what? You've got a good product. You're doing some things right, but you're horrible at bookkeeping. I need to come in and help you. And not only am I gonna come in and help you and offer my services so that you can get right, I'm gonna take care of all your debts right now. I'm gonna cover all your debts and I'm gonna cover your debts going forward. So we're gonna, we're gonna get you back right, we're gonna get you square right. And, and the, the first lady, the business one was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I needed the help. Gosh, you know, thank you so much. And so she went about and she continued about her business. Well, several months later, she still realized I'm not making a lot of profit. Things aren't really going that great. Like things are better because I don't have all this debt, but I'm, I'm not moving forward very much. And she sits down and meets with her friend and her friend shows her the books and says, listen, you still are not changing a lot of things. And, and she finally noticed, like something dropped. At first, she was just thankful that her friend would come in and do this. Now, as she really looked and dove into the books, she saw how much money this lady was having to spend to get her out of debt and how much time and effort and what it took for her friend. And it turned her, her from like thanking her friend to saying, I will do anything for you. And I'm telling you, this is a perfect example of what it means to be a Christian. You start off, you're like, God, just get me out of this funk. Help me out. Like I'm, run, I'm pushing my product. I've got my kingdom and it's not working out. Something bad happened. I came to the end of myself and I need you to come in and help me. And he comes in and he says, fine, I'll wipe it clean. I'll take the debt. And then we just move about our life and we try to then continue to work without him. And when we finally go back to the books and we realize, oh my goodness, how much have you done for me? Like the older I get, the more I realize what it took and what his, his death, burial, and resurrection took in order to save me. The older I get, it's not just like, ah, that's old news. That's still good news. Like it's even more good because I know what's in me. I've tried to go on without him. And as long as I do that, it's nothing. But when I go back and say, look at that. And what happens is the more I realize what I've been redeemed from, the more my love grows for him and I want to give him all. And I learn to trust him more and more. So when I take that first step of salvation, I'm, okay, I'm trusting you. I don't fully realize what I'm getting myself into. He says, you give me the books, I'm gonna change your life. And God, take it, go, run. 
And you don't understand that until you've walked through it and you started to change your identity. And this is what Martin Luther is saying. You gotta beat it in your head. You gotta preach the gospel to yourself. I know you don't preach the gospel to other people if you don't ever preach it to yourself. And you should constantly be preaching it to yourself. You wake up, God, thank you for what you've done for me. I don't move on from it, I feed on it. And this is the first thing. When we talk about the knowledge of your new identity, you need to know what Jesus has done, how that appropriates and changes everything about you. And we don't move beyond that. We continue to feed on that. And that's our goal. That's why we talk about Jesus, the gospel. He's the king every Sunday. Not so you get old and go, okay, I know where this is going. But because that is the whole message. It's how you grow. But you got to know that so well that you're pounding it into your heart. You're pounding it into your brain. And like that Coke machine at work where the Coke gets stuck, you're like shaking it until it drops from here to here. Sometimes it takes time, but you've got to say, I'm willing to be equipped. I want to know my identity, and I'm willing to open myself up to do that. The second thing you need to do is grow in your gifting. When I, when I think about this, I think about God in Ephesians chapter 6. There's a few chapters after this. He's, he's telling Paul to this church, he's saying, now you need to put on the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. And he's saying, you need to be equipped. Like you have equipment that you can put on and tools in order to go into battle and fight the enemy. Because listen, that's part of maturity. Not just standing on the sidelines or the spectator Christian that's yelling at those that aren't doing it right in the crowd but actually people that are on the field. I remember the first time I started playing football, Pop Warner, I was four of, of 10 years old, fourth grade. Anybody start like 10 years old or younger, start playing football, right? They're like, there's a tree, tackle it. Like they're trying to help you learn how to tackle and learn how to do this. And I remember I'd played football in PE, right? Right, Earl, you know all about this life. You played a lot longer than I did. Played football and PE, and I'm like, ooh, I like this. I want to be a running back. And, you know, I'm white, so it wasn't going to happen. And so I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be this and do this and do that. But when I put those pads on for the first time, 10 years old, it changed everything. You, do you remember, if you don't know this, how uncomfortable that helmet was the first time? You're just like, this hurts. You remember that stupid mouthpiece? boiling it and put it in your, ah, my dad was like, just bite down, boy. You know, I'm like, ah, I'm dying. Like it's burning my flesh just so it can like be perfectly matted to my teeth. It was so, it used to gag me. It was so uncomfortable. So I'm this 10 years old, putting all these pads on, putting all this stuff on. And I remember my first practice, my coach, this big burly dude, he's like, all right, Peyton, I was an outside linebacker. Stand right here. And so I'm like, right here? Like, they didn't have Madden football where I knew everything about football by the time I jumped into the league, right? I'm like, stand here, like, do what? I knew I need to catch the ball and tackle people. Stand here, okay, stand here. I'm standing here, boom, blindsided. Big O dude for 10. <laughs> to me, <laughs> Goliath and David, right? And so I get up and I'm like, this isn't very fun. Um, Boom, same thing. That happened like five times. Finally, my coach is like, Pate, what are you doing? And I'm like, you told me to stand here. This is what you told me to do. I'm doing what you told me to do. 
stand here. He's like, you can move out of the way. What? You said stand here. I'm uncomfortable with all this stuff. I'm just getting pummeled. Tears in my eyes. I'm like, this is stupid. Dad, I don't want to play football anymore. He's like, no, move and go after the ball. Well, that's a game changer, right? Hut, guy comes, what? Go after the ball. Like, oh, I can do this. This is fun. How many of us come to Christ, establish some foundations, start putting some pads on? You're like, this is a little uncomfortable. I'm not used to this. Putting on these things, learning these things, being equipped in these things, and then just getting pummeled by the enemy. Because you think I'm just supposed to stand here, right? I'm just supposed to take it. I didn't realize I was supposed to grow into this equipment and use it for my benefit in order to defeat the enemy and go and do something with my life, with the power and the equipment of God. How annoying and how boring is your Christian faith when you're just sitting there? How many Christians have a sword mounted on their wall that looks so good and has no blood on it? Answer that, it's worth it. We gotta be willing to grow in our calling and in our gifting. Lord, help me know and train and grow. Some of us have gifts and callings and things that we're really good at, but we didn't know we're supposed to use that in church. That's the whole context of this scripture. Paul's like, this is for equipping the saints to get them ready. We need you and we need you and we need you and we need your gifting and we need your help. That's why I love, I'm looking at Brad right here, like gifting and finances. So he led our FPU, Financial Peace University. And a lot of you are debt free today because he said, I'm gonna use this gift, take it into the church and I'm gonna help people in the church and the body. Thank God for people like that. But how many of us just sit on it and go, I'm just getting beat down. And I'm using it for my own kingdom and my own purposes. And God's saying, I didn't just give you that for you. I gave you that for others and people and a body to be equipped. And a lot of us, our church, a lot of times just limps around because we're dislocated and we're not being equipped because people aren't willing to grow. Willing to grow in their knowledge, willing to grow in the equipment that they've given them and send that to other people. And the last one is willing to show. And when I say this, I mean show up. It's one thing to say, I have all these giftings and I have these abilities, but if you don't make space in your calendar and your schedule to show up to be used by God, what good are you? Again, anybody can yell from the sidelines. Anybody can yell from the bench, from the stands. Monday morning, armchair quarterback. And you know, there's times where you are like this. You're listening and I hope you're being equipped, but it's not enough just to hear. I've been, I've been lifting weights for about eight months and one of the things of learning how to lift good, because I don't want to hurt myself, because I've done that before. And, and so I'm learning how, so I'm, I'm getting the knowledge, I'm watching YouTube and I'm reading things because I want to make sure I'm doing squats right. And I want to make sure I'm doing these bench press because I don't want to be stupid and hurt myself. So I'm gaining knowledge, but it's not enough just to hear about it. If I don't go and actually try to do it, what good is that knowledge? And if I don't make space in my schedule to be able to show up, what good is it to be equipped? I mean, to actually do something with what God has given us. 
Sadly, I think there's a lot of good reasons in our church or in church at large as to why people don't serve or even give financially. And I'm not here just to yell at you or preach at you because there are circumstances where it's just impossible or it's crazy. And we love to talk to our people or members like, I know we're not able to give. Hey, it's, I understand what's going on in your life. But here's the sad part. Most of the time, I would say most of the time, the first thing to go financially is giving to the church. Now, I paid my Dish Network bill, but man, no, I can't do that. Most of the time, the first thing to go serving-wise is serving from the church. Now, I just, I need some me time. I'm gonna tell you how you grow you is in community with other believers after the same mission in life. And that's to be like Christ and to serve him in his kingdom. That's the number one way you're gonna grow. And all you have to be is one chapter ahead of the person behind you that you're trying to lead. You don't have to know everything. In fact, the more you do, like a chef in a kitchen that knows all the ingredients to bake a cake, but never actually goes in the kitchen and puts them together. And a lot of times we don't do it because we just don't have time to show up. Because it takes us setting boundaries in our life to say, okay, I could give all my time to all this, but I'm gonna make sure there's boundaries enough as Jesus says, narrow is the way. I'm gonna narrow my boundaries enough to say, this is important in my life. Serving God, serving his kingdom. And I think we need an honest rebuke because it ultimately says something about what we believe in our identity, how we think we're gonna grow. Where are you today? I've got three final thoughts, super fast. Are you happier, more humble, more self-controlled? Do you have more peace than you did this time last year? Are you growing? Here's the second question. Do you have the courage to ask somebody that question? Somebody close to you that you trust? Hey, do I have more peace this time than last year? Am I happier? Are you seeing me more humble? Are you seeing growth in me? And if you get a good friend, faithful are the wounds of a friend, scripture says. Somebody that'll call you out and be like, no, let's talk, let's pray. Are you that willing? Because you wanna be used by the Lord. And lastly, are you serving anywhere? In the body, outside of the body? It's beyond you and your kingdom and your thing. Because if you really wanna be equipped for service, You've got to be open and willing. And you've got to see it as an angle. This is who I am. So how can I say it's who I am? And it's not then appropriated by what I do. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. And we're going to end with a song. We're going to sing this song. Here I am waiting. I, I think it says a lot about you in this room. Because you're here. You're taking time. You could be a lot of places, you could be doing a lot of things, and yet you came here because there's something in you that says, I wanna grow. There's something in you that says, I need more than just some kind of message online. I need people around me. You're here as a result of saying, I wanna be something more. I wanna be the person that God has called me to be. And my prayers as we wait on the Lord and seeking his face right now. My prayer is that God will flood you with his presence and the cares 
the problems of this world will just fade as he empowers you first off with himself and secondly then to show out in your life as an example and someone walking worthy of the manner in which they were called. Father, move in this place so we worship you and sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.